0: First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12 for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks, slaves or free and all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If, If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we pray, even as we sing, that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, when I was a wee little laddie boy, I would get myself into trouble. I had a bad habit. And the bad habit was taking things apart, and not always knowing how that they were supposed to go back together. So I recall... I'm underneath my grandmother's coffee table and it's one of those tables where it has a drawer, you know, and I'm underneath there and I'm from behind pushing the drawer out, pulling it back in, playing with the little wheels in the track, going over to the wing nuts that hold the the legs to the table. And I am undoing those and pulling off the, you know, the various parts and and putting back and my grandmother, what are you doing that for? I know you, I know what you're going to do you're going to mess this up and then you won't be able to get it put back together. Right. Uh, So knock it out. And she was right. I had a bad habit of doing this. I like my, my father, I desired to figure out how things work. And so I enjoyed this, like pull it apart and see how it is connected and, and whatnot. But unlike my father, he was very gifted. I I believe it is with being mechanically minded. He's able to, to pull it all apart and get it right back together and even better than it was before and i and I've struggled with that, so from computers to rifles to carburetors, um, I've had a habit of pulling it apart now, I've noticed over the years as I pull things apart that it's not good if you have things left over. so when you get done pulling apart your carburetor and you have a gasket or a screw, or even worse, probably a spring left over, it's not good. Uh, you may put the carburetor back together and, well, you have this part or two left over. It may, it may run for a minute. It probably won't run well. It may not run at all. The word from the Lord here to us this morning is that when it comes to the body of Christ, you can't leave out the spring You can't leave out the bolt. You can't leave out the gasket. For the very functioning organism that we are, we need all the parts to be in this body, to be in their proper place. Or it may run for a minute. It may not run well. It may not run at all. For the parts that seem unneeded, you find out, are indispensable. And if the thrust of this can be traced out with one big reality that I think is fleshed out in three questions here this morning. So our time will be looking at first this big reality, which is we are one body and yet many members. That would be verses 12 and 13. And then we're going to ask some questions. What if I feel like I don't belong? That's verses 14 through 20. What if I feel like they don't belong? That's verses 21 through 26. And then we're going to ask Who exactly, again, is it that we are connected to at verse 27? Well, first, we are one body and yet many members. Now, for those of you who have been in the church any length of time, you may recall the history of 1 Corinthians. Here is a church that had been commendable for some things, but by and large, like the churches in Revelation, we see there's a lot that they need to be rebuked for This church in Corinth had a tone, every man for himself, every woman for themselves. It was about one-upmanship. It was about posturing. Uh, We see that through the various issues of this letter, everything from them debating over which apostle they thought was best. I follow so-and-so, I follow so-and-so. They were suing each other. They were turning communion into self-indulgence and they were using their gifts as a form of power and having power and control over others in the body. Within the life of the church, the people didn't consider how great is Jesus. They were far too busy figuring out who in here is great and how might I posture myself to be better than they are. So Paul reminds them in verses 12 and 13 again here, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, We were all baptized into the one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. Now elsewhere, Paul says in Ephesians chapter two at verse 18, he says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him. We have both access to the one spirit there. There's our phrase that's similar to our passage, the one spirit to the father And then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members. See that word again, members of the household of God. Then you step back a little bit further in Ephesians chapter one at verse five, we find in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So if I could work my way back to first Corinthians Ephesians chapter one, Highlights something for us. It it, it says we have been adopted. This idea of being brought into the family. That is accessing the same heavenly father through the same spirit as Ephesians chapter 2 showed us. In which we were all nationals. There's no foreigners in the body of Christ. Everybody belongs. And likewise. We read here in 1 Corinthians that we were all members of the same body. So that that while the metaphor changes, the idea for us is crystal clear. This is a bit like a diamond. When you come up to a diamond, you can rotate it and you see the various colors and angles and beauty of the diamond. God's scripture has shown us, look at the church, this diamond, which rotates in various ways so that you see these angles. You go, oh, adoption, this beautiful angle. It says, we were not part of God's family, but we've been brought in to be treated as his own children. This other angle that we read, we are um, looking at being the building of Christ. We are building up the very place where he dwells. We, we see another angle that we are sheep in the flock, which means we're safer when we are together than when we're off alone, where a wolf might take us out. We see that uh, we are the hands and feet of the body with Christ as our head. And as this diamond rotates for us, each of these angles showing us these beautiful angles in which we marvel at God's design. That he take people who are very different from each other in different stages of life in different socioeconomic ways and different races and bring us together. Paul then highlights that your ethnicity is no longer a determining factor of what gets you in to this diamond. Your social status is not a factor. Neither is your wealth, your poverty, your education level, your past life, your strengths, your achievements, your grave failures, your property, your possessions, your family, your familial rejections, your skin color, your sex. None of this is what determines if you are received into this family. Remember George Orwell in his satirical novel, remember Animal Farm, where he says something to the effect of all animals are equal, uh, but some animals are more equal than others. Remember that? <laughs> Never in the church of Christ. Never here. Far be it from us to have that sort of mentality. For there is one spirit who brings us by faith into the one body. Yeah. We ask, well, what, okay, I agree, but what do we do when we find ourselves in the body and yet we still have a hint, a sense of, I'm not sure that I should be a part of this body. Do I really belong here? And some may look around, you, you kind of look up stage here and you kind of go, well, I don't know if I could ever quite play guitar like that or lead in singing like that. I'm not really good at speaking in front of people or groups. I can't organize my silverware drawer, let alone organize a church event. Or from another angle, perhaps we say, I look at certain people in this church and they are so natural. They just come in here, they saunter in, they shake hands, and they hug, and they kiss, and they're friendly, and they're meeting this person, connecting with that person. And for me, it's just kind of a struggle to kind of like, hey, Hi. And, and honestly, part of me wants to just be off in the corner and not have anybody notice me at all, right? It can be awkward. It could be challenging to get out of my bubble. And so we say, well, where do I fit in? What if I feel I don't belong? Well, Paul gets right to the issue in verses 14 through 17. See what he says here. For if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less part of the body and if the ear should say because I'm not an eye I do not belong to the body that would make it not that would not make it any less part of the body if the whole body were an eye where would the sense of hearing be the sense of hearing if the whole body were an ear where would be the sense of smell and so paul's highlighting this exact problem that i'm discussing right here what if i feel like i don't really belong And then Paul's corrective to that whole question is right here emphasized in verse 18. But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So, what if I feel like like I don't belong? It's a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. God put you here, sister in Christ. God put you here, brother in Christ. Who are you? or I to say that you shouldn't be here. If God has placed you here, you must absolutely be here in this body. God has put you here. And when you joined this church as a member, you're, you're not just joining because it's tradition. You're not just joining because there's some benefits or because you gain control in some way. No, you join because it's a very expression of what God has created you to be, which is a member of his body. To be a member of him. That's where the word membership ultimately is rooted in. It's where we get this in the Bible. It's members of his body. Now, you may object questioning, well, what if I don't have the talents or the abilities and I can't be in leadership? Well, far more important than holding a role of an elder or a deacon or some other leadership role is simply just existing in the body of Christ. Do you see the importance of that? Uh, th- this means if all you can do here is come on a Sunday morning and you worship and you pray with us and you partake in communion, seeing that God has arranged you simply with a ministry of presence, then you are right where you ought to be. If you are age 12 or age 14 or Somewhere above and below, you you may say, well, what what role do I play? I think you need to understand, younger one in Christ, that you play also an indispensable role. As you let older adults here model what it looks like to follow Christ in your life. As you allow them to disciple you and you uh, allow adults to minister to you, showing you how God has led them in their life, and my hunch is that for most of us here, God has arranged you as members in ways that you are not obviously aware of. We can all be desi- We can all desire to be what we're not, and Paul knows that this is our temptation. So, if we look at verse eighteen down to twenty, he says, "But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be?" As it is there are many parts and yet one body. I think this reminds us here even as God has placed you with your gifts, your talents, your personality as unique as it might be that the that the church that we ought to fight against we not we ought to not fight against how he has created us. Uh, George Saunders in a uh, in his book um, he's writing to writers, and he and he and he goes through this interesting thought experiment. I read this uh, last week, and I thought, man, this is it. He says, imagine that you had spent the first twenty years of your life indoors, where a TV was constantly showing glamorous footage of an Olympic sprinters. So you're stuck indoors. You're watching this TV of the Olympics for twenty one years, and you're inspired by all these years of of, of watching these sprinters. And you, inspired by all those years of watching the sprinters, have developed a cherished dream of becoming a sprinter. Then, on your 21st birthday, you're released from that room, and in the hallway, you stumble upon a mirror to discover you're six foot five and thick with muscle, and you weigh 300 pounds. You're not a born sprinter. And when you go outside to run your first 100-yard dash, you come in last. What a heartbreak! Your dream is ruined! But as you walk away from the track, depressed, You see a group of people built like you, shot putters, practicing. And it's in that instant that your dream may come back to life, reconfigured. He says, when I wanted to become a sprinter, what I really meant was I wanted to become an athlete. I think something like this happens in the body of Christ too. Where we realize even if we're not all sprinters, we need those in the church body who will clear hurdles. We need those in the church body who will jump very far. We need those in the church body who will be able to throw chunks of metal really far. <laughs> and we need fast sprinters as well. At the end of this section, Paul makes it clear. There's a reason God gives gifts to all people types into the churches down in, in 28. We find and God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping and administrating and various kinds of tongues. And then he makes the point, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all ter- interpret? No, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. His point is there. No, no, no. It's not that all are one. We, God has given us the very gifts that we have, our unique personalities, our unique giftings, and by his spirit enabled us to use those for his glory, each in our own way to build up the body of Christ. We can't be lopsided and be only one thing. So then we say, whatever God has gifted me at, Lord, help me to be the very best that. You say, Thomas, I think I'm an earlobe. Well, okay. Be the very best earlobe that God has created you to be. You say, I think I'm an elbow. Well, okay. Be the best part of the body that God has given and gifted you to be. The church, friends, is a functioning organism where all these parts are needed for all the parts need to be in their proper place, where the church won't run well it It may run for a minute it it may not run at all, so you do belong. you are responsible to be a member of the church, and if not church on the mountain, brother, sister, I'd encourage you, you must be a member somewhere, whether it's another church down the road uh please. Uh, Get into the church, be a thriving member of it so that you may mutually lift others up and you may also mutually be lifted up. Okay. What happens when we, with a whole heart, we affirm this idea? Thomas, I agree. I do belong here. I'm part of the body of Christ and you, everything you've said thus far, I say amen and a hearty amen to Okay. But what happens when you begin to say, I know I belong, but I'm not sure that they belong or more boldly, I wish that they weren't here. I wish that they would attend somewhere else. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty with which our presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. And so we say, if someone is truly a Christian, that is, they have repented, they have turned away from their sin, they believe in faith that Jesus died on the cross for their sin, and now Christ has become their Lord and their savior. Then Paul's response is just because they're not the same member of the body that you are. That doesn't mean that they don't belong. Your hand, your an eye. they're a pinky toe. Don't despise them. Don't look down on them. Rather. We are to honor them. You see how these all go together. Uh, We recognize this in life and we see it elsewhere. Sometimes we miss it in the church. You're walking down the grocery aisle. And you see all the bags of potato chips. And you know why we love potato chips. They're salty. We love salt. And then you look across the other side and there's all the candy. And you know why we love the candy aisle because there's the sweet. And then you know the genius who decided, I'm mixing these things together. And so you stumble upon the potato chips that have been dipped in chocolate. And you say, aha, finally, somebody who's arrived at the same conclusion I've arrived at. I don't know if you recall... Well, maybe when you were younger, you did this too. When I was young, we would get out of the concerts, like at, you know, uh, various shows, like at 11 or midnight or 1 a.m. And the only place that was open was like a Wendy's drive-thru. And you would, you know, go through because you're starving. You've been sweating and dancing and having a good time. And now you're going to go through the drive-thru late at night. And so Wendy's is the only thing that's open. And so you, what do you do? You get french fries and a frosty. Now, if you're like me, you know what you do with the french fries. You dip them in the frosty because we know these things that are kind of alike, salt and sugar. One's savory, one's sweet. There's things that are alike there, but there are some things that are radically different about the two. And we know that they go together. Some of the best cuisine you've ever had brings together sweet and salty. And some of us, we're very disorganized and we're spontaneous, we're visionary. Others of us are thoughtful and we're organized. Some are serious, some are jokesters. Some are very intense about theology. Others are very intense about making sure people are taken care of. Some are gifted with administration. Others with prayer. And still others here have faith and trust in God that goes beyond the normal scope. Yes, some of us are salt. Some of us are sugar. And we need both. Paul knows this. This is why he says in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I heard a podcast where this, don't ask me how, you just kind of marvel at this stuff. This guy, this when he was a kid, he was on his bicycle and the the sprocket thing, I'm not even sure the proper name, but he, his pinky toe got caught in between the chain and the spoke part, the sprocket part, and it took off his pinky toe, okay? And You just kind of go, okay, I don't even know how that happens. But meanwhile, he explained, he says, the rest of my life, you'd think this is no small, small potatoes. You'll get over it. You'll move on. You don't need a pinky toe. Of course you don't. But he says, the interesting thing is, as I've been walking in life and I've been doing various things, I've had to correct because I've been off kilter my entire life because of a pinky toe. And so he says, I've had to go to physical therapy and I'm doing various things to make sure that I stay aligned and properly heading in the right direction and how many churches have intentionally or unintentionally done a work of saying, Hey, we don't need you pinky toes. And as a result in the life of that church, they walk a little off kilter as an aside. I wonder if some of you have forgotten That God brings people into our lives. Yes, even into our churches that may challenge you or be a struggle for you and your personality. At least part of the reason, I'm not saying the whole reason, but at least part of the reason that they are in this church or in your life is for your sanctification. Thomas, are you saying the very people that might drive me nuts are the very people that God has intentionally put here to help me be formed more like him? Uh Uh-huh. No doubt. We were created to join together, to love the unlovable. And this very life of the believers, when you become part of the local church, living a life together with people who may look and be very different than you is where God gets to work of forming you as the entire body more into his very image. Friends, we need each other. Paul is reminding us here, the very parts that seem unnecessary. You go, I don't need, we need that. A church to be well-functioning needs folks who will say, I'm gifted in administration. How can I help? I love to give. Who needs funding? I desire to grow in teaching. Help me grow in that so I can do that here. I'm driven to pray more and I have time freed up. How can I pray for the members? Or I'm gifted in evangelism. Who can I partner with and go out and outreach with? Churches need elders who will point the whole body. This is where we should go. They need deacons who will say, ah, let us get behind this vision and how can we support it and get the body in that direction? They need leaders who will come alongside and do this and far be it from us to exclude others or even ourselves from saying we are not part of that work than to follow in behind the leaders and the elders and the deacons and the vision of the church and, and all of it being founded upon the gospel so that we will, as a church, walk not off kilter but in the right direction the way that God has called us. One particular resource I would like to commend to you is our church directory. Uh, not only do we have it printed and have some extra copies here this morning, um, if you would like to to have a physical copy, but we have easy access to it digitally. And as a body, I believe it's a great tool for us. Um, you can use it to pray through our membership. Uh, lastly, in regards to our, our passage here, the directory helps us connect our eyes and ears and hands together to do the work of ministry. You can go through the directory and use it as a tool to say, I know who, who here is gifted with this. Ah, that person who here might be gifted at that. Ah, let me bring these together so that we can do the work of ministry together. Uh, a silly illustration here. You could say, John is really good at sharing and teaching the Bible. I have a larger house. Sally cooks. Well, I wonder if I can invite John over with Sally and maybe another member from church here, all host, John can do all the talking. Sally can cook. Now, this fourth person joining in may not seem to be particularly good at anything. And yet, in my silly illustration, what would you and Sally and John be doing for that fourth member? I would argue you're bestowing honor on the parts of the body that we may think are less honorable. I think this brings God glory when we act in this way as we see in verse 25 through 26, there, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I think one way we view the church body is we say, when you come in here, when you're here throughout the week in Bible studies or on Sunday, this is, a, this is an army base. This is a training ground. This is where we come together and we work together. We are creating clear pathways and desire to increase this, that anyone can take to being discipled from being a young babe in Christ, all the way to being a full on soldier where soldiers become trained to become snipers and where snipers go on to work with special ops and special forces. I hope we view our church and increasingly so as an army base where soldiers are trained up. And if the church is an army base, It's also to be pictured as a hospital. We're surely a place where when someone spiritually walks in through the doors and collapses, we rush to give them CPR, whether they are spiritually wounded from other people's sin or whether they're wounded from their own sin against themselves. The the category of suffering is such a large catch-all pan, isn't it? So for whatever the reason, as Paul says here, if one member suffers, it ought to be that as a hospital, we all rush in and suffer with them, and help support them. I think for those of you who've worked in a medical setting, you you know and you understand. In the hospital, how it works is the, all the healthy people get to work, making the unhealthy person, bringing them back to life. Is that not how it works? And so too with the church, spiritually as a hospital. Um, we have people coming in here, and it's the role of those spiritually who are more healthy to, to uplift and bring to health those who are sick and need of it so that the whole church body will be healthy. So we are an army base on one side and the other side, we're a hospital and a body where if one member gets honored, all rejoice. Part of what we will do later today with our membership meeting is exactly that. We will rejoice together and we will suffer together functioning as a body that supports one another. A functioning organism where all the parts need to be in their proper place or the church may run for a minute, may not run well, may not run at all. So for all members of one body and you belong and still further, all the people that you may struggle with belong, but belong to what? Well, this is where we look and see who we're connected to is the last section here. Verse 27. And now. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It's right there on the face of it. We are connected to Jesus himself. I think the image is a potent one for us, isn't it? If you want to have more of a two dimensional life, then you you live your life outside of Christ. But if we want to truly live in the depths of all the ways that God has created us to live, we want to be connected to our head, which is Christ. remind me again exactly how long is it that the chicken lives after you for put them on the plate for Thanksgiving? I mean, after you do this, I mean, what is it? Just a few seconds, right? The image is very stark. The bird can't live without the head. The church can't live without our head. Is it not true that the head is what gives life to the body? Is it not true that the head is what's telling the lungs, keep breathing heart, keep beating hands move when needed to put food to mouth. So the image is Christ gives us life. Paul, at the very beginning of this letter, he says, I got one thing I want to tell you. I want to preach one thing, Christ and him crucified, because it is the wisdom of God. And then as he closes this book in chapter 15, he says, there's one thing that I want to be central above all other things. It's the central message that Christ died and was resurrected. That when you cut the head, this head will not die. He rises to life and that all that are connected to him will never die. We too will rise to life and that we need him to be our wisdom. We need him to be the very thing that is our source for salvation. And, and if all of us are connected into him to have life, surely we are connected to each other. But he and his gospel and his wisdom, he has done this. Surely it means that we recognize that Christ died and was separated from the father so that he could unite us to himself and to each other. And to the degree that you actually see Christ giving up his life for his body will be the degree to which you will enter into boldness, knowing that you belong here and others as well. What does it mean to be One body and many members, well, it means that we're able to be who God uniquely made us and to use the gifts that God has given us to the church. And it means that we are better together than apart. Friends, I opened up this morning talking about how I like to pull things apart and had struggled to put things back together again. Of all the things from computers to rifles to carburetors that I pulled apart and put back together, the thing I'm the most proud about would be uh, my father and I put together, pulled apart and put together a 1967 Volkswagen bus. Um, It's the total vintage one with all the windows and the split window down the middle. Um, And so we spent years, well, at least a year or two doing this work. And we, you know, would get masking tape and we'd pull off one screw and label it and put it in the box and pull off another screw and label it and put it in the box and everything had its place where it had to be because when you pull everything off it's all got to go back where it's supposed to be so that by the time we got a new engine and put on a new dual carb setup and plug that in and new paint and new paneling the whole thing and I remember he said, okay, let's get it out and going. So we finally fired it up and we 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 hit the road with it. And I remembered a lot of, I mean, it's a vintage vehicle, but I remember a lot of like shimmying and shaking and vibrations and whatnot. And he, my dad looks over to me and he says, hey, did you forget to tighten the master nut? And I was sitting there, what do you, what do you mean tighten the master nut? What are you talking about? Goes, oh, yeah, yeah, the master nut. If you tighten that up, then it's... It's supposed to make all the vibrations of the old vehicle go away So clearly you haven't done this well later. I found out it was a farce. The thing doesn't exist it's, it's it was a total he was just messing with me, but um, You know it, it is one of those things that becomes clear all all the main parts of the body must be on it We must work and function for the whole vehicle to go efficiently and safely down the road um, no part can say, I don't belong on here. And and no part can say, you don't belong here. For the parts that you may, as you're putting this whole thing back together again, seem unneeded, you find out they're indispensable. You, you, we can't live without them. So when you get done rebuilding the whole vehicle, if you, if you have a gasket or a screw or a bolt left over, it may run for a minute. It may run poorly. It may not run at all. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would help us grow in the grace of Christ, that the gospel grace that you have bestowed on us through Jesus, that that level of grace be the same level that we pour out to those in this church body. Father, I pray that your spirit would lead us so that not one would say, I'm not sure if I should be here. That not one would say, I'm not sure if they should be here. Help us grow in this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.